0: we live in a world that is obsessed with rights and it's only taken me 12 months so you can be thankful for that but let me just play you a video that it's quite likely you've seen at least part of uh, or um if not i'm about to make Hello, you a I'm just asking if
1: you've got a mask well it's clear i don't well, and you do are not authorized ask a... me or question you me about, a... about you. it if you guys aren't wearing a mask. I actually don't need a medical certificate if you refer you to the DH de- No, I'm allowed to do this. That's and you're discriminating I'm not, against no me. We're all just trying to all be in this together. We're, we all all have to in what together? I actually don't. And you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me about it. It's a condition of entry of our as, as then said, a Then that's discrimination, problem. and I can have you sued personally for discriminating against me as a woman. We're not discriminating against anyone. You it's are. A condition of entry it's not. It's not. A it's an unlawful condition of entry. Yep. Therefore, that uh, ex- exposes you personally and Bunnings to being sued for discrimination because it is in breach of the 1948 Charter of Human Rights to discriminate against men and women. We're not trying to discriminate. Could you have stop filming? No, I'm not going to stop filming. Right. Because this is my evidence against you, you and Bunnings for discriminating against me as a woman. We're not, we're not trying you are not against anyone. You totally are. If you take out your phone and look up the Department of Human Services and have a look at the conditions of wearing a mask... I don't even have to have this conversation with you because you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me. As I said, it's just a condition of entry. I don't know. care. It so doesn't apply applies to me. It, applies to every single it person does, person does not. It does not because that's a breach of the Charter of Human Rights. It's a condition you, of entry cannot of you cannot do that. do that. You cannot do that. I'm Please not going to stop filming you. Filming you. It is unlawful and it is discriminatory and it is illegal. And I'm going to continue going in here and getting what I need because it is unlawful for you to do that. No worries, if that's what you feel as so though you have to do it. As I said, it's a condition of entry, so we'll be having this conversation every time you walk into here. Oh, and I'm fine with that and I'll be recording it every time. Please
0: stop recording me now. So I'm not I'm going fine, to right stop
1: right. recording you. No worries. It is my right as a living woman to do whatever I want.
0: It is my right as a living woman to do whatever I want. And of course, you've got to remember this isn't the bloke filming her to to, to shame her later. This is her filming herself uh, so she can show the world the terrible discrimination that she faces. Of course, her name is not really, but she is known uh, in Australia and perhaps around the world as Bunnings Karen. Uh, And She's demanding her rights under the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights to enter Bunnings without a mask on. And it, it feels kind of uh, a, a little ridiculous, but we, we, we see the, a similar attitude, I think, does run strong uh, throughout our community. Even the, the idea that we have a right to not be offended by what people say, uh, I would argue, is, 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 is at least as ridiculous. And now, of course, human rights are a good idea and it's probably for a different series and a different day to think philosophically and theologically about what a right is and how it is that you get one and whether or not you deserve any. But uh, Article 29 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, which we were told uh, uh, about a lot by Karen, actually states that... Not only do we have rights, but it says everyone has duties to the community. That is, with, with, with rights granted comes responsibility. Uh, you, you think about it on a, on a more localised level. If you uh, join a club... You've got certain rights as a member of that club, maybe to access their bar or uh, or, the, or the courts or whatever the kind of club is that you might have joined. Uh, but then you've got a responsibility to the club, the membership fees and then Uh, to be a good member, cleaning up after yourself, these sorts of things, rights and responsibilities. And, of course, that's not just a a thing that exists on a local level. As you expand out your view uh, to your rights as a citizen uh, and, and so forth, your responsibilities expand with those rights. Rights and responsibilities, of course, live together in the context of relationships and if you think about Bunnings Karen of course, uh, immediately you think well whether or not she has the right not to wear a mask, what about poor old mate's right not to get filmed and put on the internet, what about, and he asked several times, please don't film me doesn't he, uh, w- w- what about um, the other people who are around there and their different rights, their rights exist in a, com- in a context of relationships. We have rights and freedoms that we can enjoy, but we need to also be careful that we don't impinge on others' rights uh, as we exercise our own. Why all this talk of rights and responsibilities? Well, because I think uh, that what we see here in chapter three of John's letter is uh, John talking not of our rights, but uh, of our privilege. Our privilege that we have as Christians to be called God's children. And John, uh, as he pens this letter, uh, wants to remind us of that privilege and call us to live out our responsibilities, uh, that the responsibilities that come with this great privilege we have as Christians. And he, we see uh, this works itself out again in the context of relationships uh, with, with God himself, with, with each other uh, and with the world in which we live out our privileged relationship. But first, some context. Uh, we started just before chapter three at the end of chapter two in verse 28. And John starts with an encouragement to us. Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before his coming. John really throughout this section uh, and uh, in this part in particular, is echoing the words of Jesus himself from John 15. I, the, the letter of John is a, is a great kind of counterpart to the words of Jesus in, in John 15, in John's Gospel, and I'd encourage you to read that sometime. But you, you, you might remember, if you're familiar with John 15, things like this, John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing or uh, a little later on from verse 9 as the father has loved me so i have loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love Uh, in in both uh, john 15 and here in john's uh, letter we have a call uh, to the christian to continue in christ to remain in christ as we await his return and as we do that we enjoy our privileged position but we have uh, some responsibilities uh, to live out at, at, in the context of relationships. so let's have a look first of all our privileged position he goes on to next having reminded us to continue in Christ he says see what great love John 3 1 see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Who are you? What is your identity? You are a child of God. And this is a great privilege. It's a a great gift from God. It's a demonstration of his love towards us. And this is a privilege that that not everyone enjoys. In fact, the world doesn't know God. The The world around us, those outside Christ, they don't enjoy this special privilege. This is a privilege that belongs to those of us in Christ who share Christ's sonship and are called children of God because of God's great love. And what does that mean? Well, he goes on to tell us, doesn't he, in verse 2, Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we, will be, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, our, our position, our privileged position as children of God, uh, means that we know our, our end point, being pure like God's son. We know the trajectory of our lives from impure to pure in Christ and yet we're awaiting for that transformation to be fully realised. And so comes our responsibility. End of verse uh, 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We're a loved child of God awaiting that time when we become pure and so we have a responsibility in the here and now to get on with the job of purifying ourselves. A little bit uh, later on, verse 6, John says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him, that is, we deal with our sin if we're children of God because we know we're going to be pure for all eternity. But of course, I'm, I'm making it fairly simple, but the verses might cause you a little more trouble than that. Because uh, let me just read to you again from verse 6 through 9 and see if you feel the trouble. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one born of God, no child of God that you are, keeps sinning. And I hope at least on the first reading of that, you go, "Uh uh-oh, Maybe I've got a bit of a problem here uh, because, you know, like yesterday, I accidentally sinned or I deliberately sinned. What is John saying? Well, it's obviously vitally important that we uh, take these verses in context. And if we were just sitting down and reading John's letter out in one go, These verses wouldn't kind of jump out of us, I don't think, as as much as they do when we we, uh, get to this three weeks later. Because remember, back in chapter 1, John told us, if we claim to be out sin, John 1 verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's expectation is that the Christian, the child of God, is dealing with their sins. In fact, the very writing of this letter, which is encouraging the Christians to love each other as they have been loved and to avoid sin and to deal with their sin, uh, I think is an indication that John expects them to be struggling with some of these things and needing some encouragement in them. So what's going on when when he says, uh, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, or no one who is born of God will continue to sin? Well I think when you think of those verses I've just uh, quoted from chapter 1 and chapter 2 but as you also think back to the second part of chapter 2 verses 18 to 27 where uh, John seems to have in mind perpetual sin, sin not dealt with, sin especially not dealt with after it's called out and brought into the light. And especially uh, the sin of denying Jesus. The sin of false teaching. It seems to me that these are the thoughts of things that that John has in mind. That is, that someone who uh, gets called back by the gospel to holiness of life and to repentance of sin, but carries on anyway saying, I don't need to worry about that. This person, This person is the one who keeps on sinning, uh, who does not know God, who is doing what is of the devil, who is not born of God. The one born of God hears the rebuke, comes back, repents, feels the conviction and bathes in the gospel. So, when we read John say, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God, what do we need to understand? Let me just read a quote to you from a guy called Jack, Mr. Jackman. We need to understand very carefully what John is meaning when he says that the Christian cannot go on sinning. We must not forget what John has already taught us about the fact that no Christian is sinless. We must balance that truth with the equivalent understanding that no Christian is a habitual sinner either. While we are not to expect perfection on the one hand, neither are we to settle for a mediocre level of Christian experience on the other. When we read these words of John's, there ought to be both comfort and challenge. Comfort because if you believe the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, then, then you have all you need uh, to, to remain in him and to fight your sin. But challenge, because one of the evidences of your belief is that you are indeed putting to death sin. That there ought to be some difference in your life as you look back on it. If you think about uh, the you that existed one year ago, or five years ago, or 25 years ago. You think, I can see that I've dealt with some things, that that I have changed, that God's Spirit has worked in me. And if you're struggling to do that, maybe find some Christians who've been around you and ask them if they can see it. You're going to obviously find more, but hopefully... Uh, you're dealing with your sin. It doesn't mean that you used to be really angry, and now you don't get angry anymore. But uh, there's a there's a trajectory where you can see uh, God's Spirit purifying you, and you know when you do get angry, you're you're dealing with it in a more helpful way. And as I mentioned, it's sometimes helpful to ask others to reflect on your life and to reflect on God's work in your life with you. And I think that's really important, which is why John moves to uh, our relationships with each other next. That, that is, if you're going to fight sin, if you're going to put it to death uh, and, and live out your responsibilities as a, as a privileged child of God, then you need to do it in a community of love. We need to live out our privilege in a community of other kids so we can help each other live out our responsibilities to be pure. Let me read to you from verse 10 of chapter 3. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another what does that love look like down to verse 16? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our life down, uh, we, ought, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. The, the, the relationship of Christ-like love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is, is action-orientated, the, the, the giving of care. It's, it's, it's first, though, life laying down. It's sacrificial love, as Christ is for us. And it's loving in truth as well, standing with each other in the battle against sin and the devil but there is no room john says for empty talk so we live as children of god together in in a community of love that encourages us on this journey of purification of putting to death sin that's our job together here and we need each other because out there in the world the encouragement is going to be to sin not only that but they will hate us john says verse 13 do not be surprised my brothers and sisters if the world hates you john talks about the world as darkness but god is light as we fight sin Then we're going to find that the world uh, works against us and so we need each other but also we're going to need god we're going to need to lean into our identity as children of god and so john finishes by encouraging us uh, in our relationship with our father verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. That's another one of those passages that feels a little bit confusing on first reading but let me Uh, kind of try and tease out what i think john's saying here we know don't we that our hearts know things about us that no one else does and we also know that when our hearts condemn us often they are correct in that condemnation our hearts know when we've fallen short of god's standards and John here is, not encourage, is, encourage, sorry, John is encouraging us not to deny uh, the, the, the spike of conscience in our hearts or to shrug them off, but by seeing the challenge that our hearts bring to us and then remembering that God knows about that too. Of course, God knows even more than our hearts know about us. God is greater than our hearts, he knows everything... And God, not, not minimising our failures and faults, but in fact knowing them, knowing, uh, our, knowing us deeply, knowing exactly where we're at, our comfort is that God knows our, uh, our failures, but he knows our heart's direction. He knows the measure of love that we do have, is irrefutable evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So don't live in the condemnation of your heart, rather live in the, in the, in the, in the life that comes from God in the Spirit, in the fact that you want to you, you be right with God. That, that is the greater desire of your heart. God knows your failures and yet he still pour, pour, poured out his Spirit on you uh, and called you his child. You have been born of God. You have crossed over from death to life. Yes, you are imperfect. Yes, your heart will cry out for more consistent Christ-like love. But that shouldn't destroy your assurance. Rather, it should confirm it. Our hearts, our sadness, at, at our lack of perfection... Are the, are the product of the spiritual life at work in us. When we face the crisis of a condemning conscience, a condemning heart, as, as John puts it here, we set our hearts at rest in, in God, who knows us better than we knows ourselves, who, who chose to love us in spite of us, and who calls us to put to death our sin and to carry on calls us to this life of obedience, to keep his commands and do what pleases him. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction as a way of kind of describing the Christian life. And I think that's a good little phrase. It's a lifelong project, lived in community, lived in the power of the gospel. And that's how John finishes. This is his command. Believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. How do you know that you're a child of God? You believe in Jesus. You love your brothers and sisters. You put to death sin by the power of the Spirit, which leads you in greater obedience. It's pretty simple. So let me encourage you to enjoy your privilege, but to act responsibly with it. To seek God's power in your life by his spirit to enable you to daily obedience and when your hearts condemn you remember Christ is enough Christ is enough and put to death that sin seek the love and support of your brothers and sisters and carry on with a long obedience in the same direction Amen.